Welcome to the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast. This is episode number 85. We're talking about everything to do with owning a gym, opening a gym, the journey of my co-host AC's journey to becoming a gym owner, Jiu-Jitsu gym extraordinaire. That's me. Hi, everyone. Adam Charles here, owner of Alliance Sydney, with my boy, my girl, my bird. (laughs) (laughs) Kieran Lefebvre, the button masher. Yeah, the blue belt. The blue belt. Yeah. How many stripes? Zero. No stripes. No stripes. Yep. Whose fault's right. that, Adam? I ran out of tape. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy you some, mate. I'll bring, I'll bring some tape in. BYO stripes. Yeah, bring. imagine that. Bring your own stripes. Yeah, you got to bring it. Yeah. Actually, it's it's funny. My wife's going on a yoga retreat and she was saying, it's bullshit. I have to take my own yoga mat. <laughs> what the hell? should be supplied. Yeah. Yoga retreat. Yeah. Nice. Where's that? I don't know. But it's leaving me home. <laughs> north, North Sydney somewhere. It's oh, leaving okay, me local. alone with the the rug rat. Mm. So that should be cool. Nice. But yeah, I won't be at the gym. So you can have some days off then because I won't be there. When, when's that? Uh, I'm not there Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh, that's this week. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. I won't. I'll, I'll train until Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> and then phone it in. Mm. Uh, yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about owning a gym and my journey to owning a gym as well as, you know, just some questions that come up, some of the things that go on behind the scenes. Because a lot of people think that when, you know, all you do is rock up and teach an hour class or something and disappear and that's your whole job and life. And maybe some people get to that point in running their business. I'm sure that's not unreasonable to think that that could happen. But, but yeah, we'll um Isn't that what you do? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll answer those when we get to it right are you recording bro yeah 100 i just wanted to check i just wanted to check the cameras were on i know a lot of people listen on spotify but just this morning one of our our students rami uh i was talking to him about the podcast and you're talking shit no 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 (laughs) no but it just made me think because i didn't notice you hit record on the cameras Mm. and rami was like oh man i'm more of a visual person so he's like i actually put the youtube one on on yeah. TV while I'm working and oh, it's just awesome. on in the background. He's like, he's like, Shout I like to, to see the faces. Hi, Rami. Hey. Yeah, he said he likes to see our faces. Ah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So owning a gym, right? We've spoken lots about how to make money in jujitsu. And of course, some competitions pay money. We briefly corrected a previous episode, uh, where my friend Ali mentioned, man, a lot of people make a lot of money through AJP, AJP yeah. just through competitions. But I would still say the majority of money is made in either owning a gym and te- teaching or seminars slash instructionals. Mm-hmm. You could argue to some degree anyone can open a gym, whereas to have enough people turning up to your seminars or buying your instructionals, you pretty much have to have either had some big competition success or become just a social media influencer. There's people selling instructionals who absolute dog shit, jujitsu athletes, competitors, instructors, but they've got 10 million Instagram followers. So people know who they are and buy their shit. Or you could run a jujitsu podcast. We should start a podcast. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> Wait, what? Hang on a minute. <laughs> uh, yeah, we should have an instructional coming soon. 
on how to run a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That would be good. Uh, Yeah, so how did I get to this point? Well, I mean, a little – a little quick little story, story time. time about how I got to, to this position. I kind of dropped out of school, actually. I in, in Australia, for any international listeners, you finish what's called year 10, right? And then you can actually leave school after year 10, or you can choose to stay on and do year 11 and 12, which is still considered high school, but it's kind of what they say is, oh, well, you've got to do year 11 and 12 if you – uh, if you want to go to university is kind of the very basic way of how it's explained to you. And a lot of people leave at the end of year 10 and go get like, go into trades, like get apprenticeships and things like that. Anyway, I did, I stayed around for year 11, did one term and was like, I'm out. And I left, went traveling and stuff. And cause I had spent time, you know, that classic growing up, you have parents, teachers, adults. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? Blah, blah, blah. I remember I looked at a lot of of the different courses, subjects that are taught at university or like the particular university that is near where I grew up. And there was not a single subject where I thought, oh, I could do that for the rest of my life sort of thing, or I'd be willing to do that for the rest of my life. Uh, one, the, only other th- the only thing that I was kind of more interested in is actually you wouldn't know this, but uh, I actually wanted to be a, a pilot, like a fighter pilot. Oh, wow, yeah. And then essentially two things stopped that. One, you would know knowing me face-to-face that you, I'm way too, too tall. tall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, uh, there's What's the height limitation, do you know? I'm not sure, but it is not. it's less than 6'4", that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> right? I'm way too tall. But then it was also – then I was like, oh, you got to be really good at physics and maths and shit. And I was oh, like- Oh, you got to be smart. Oh, yeah, and I was like, oh, like, that's not me either. Yeah. So I kind of, <laughs> I was screwed either way. Yeah, so I kind of just left and I traveled and stuff. And and then for many years, I was always into martial arts. You know, did some Korean martial arts that was a bit, you know, it was fine, but, uh, you know, not really a combat sport. Then I got into Muay Thai. And I remember even when I did, so the the first sort of martial art that I got into was Hapkido. And it's not a massive martial art, you know, most most Hapkido dojos, if you will, only run a couple of classes a week. They're very community driven. They're not, you can't run a business. Maybe you can, right? Maybe there's some gyms that do, but at least the ones I've experienced in Australia, it's just kind of a the people who usually teach those classes are doing it for, for fun or to give back. It's not a money-making thing. And I remember even when I did Hapkido, I was like just the – not necessarily Hapkido, but just martial arts as a whole. I thought, oh, man, if I could make money doing this, you know, this is like – this is what I enjoy doing. Then I got into Muay Thai. Once I started, you know, moving away from that, the art side of things into the combat sports, the more real side of it. And so I started thinking about Muay Thai and, you know, I was never very good at it. So it didn't really pique my interest to think that that's what I would do. But then I ended up doing jujitsu. And I remember once I, I wasn't far into training jujitsu that I realized you could run a gym and, and make money being a jujitsu instructor that I thought, no, 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 this is what I'm doing. So that's what prompted the whole move to Brazil. I mean, yes, when I first moved to Brazil, I had those, 
young aspirations of being a world champion didn't work out for me. But even before I had the thought of, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this. I want to try to be a world champion. Prior to that, I always had the thought of, no, this for me is my university. Uh, I didn't go to uni. I didn't finish school. This is what I'm getting qualified in because I'm going to open a gym one day. So the whole time from day one that I'd moved to Brazil, it was always with a, I'm going to move back to Australia and open a gym. All right. So that's, that was my thought process. Like uh, I kind of, I don't want to say it was my only option because I had looked at other options, but it just, I kind of didn't have, have another option. It's like a lot of, some people open gyms coming from another career where they can to some extent do it risk-free in the sense that, Hey, if it doesn't work out, you know, I just go, I'm still a partner at the law firm or something, but I didn't have that. So it kind of, well, it had to work out. And so far that it has done. Yeah. It's kind of like the, there's this like philosophy where, you know, you can, you can say it in more like a bro way, but like plan B is for bitches, you know, like put all your eggs in one basket and go. Sounds like it. something Dave Goggins would say. Have well, you heard of him? Yeah. Yeah. I have. It's, it's similar. <laughs> I think I, it, it's, it's someone like that, but yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So then when we moved back from Brazil, let's now talk a little bit about what's, what's, so that was my thought process, but what's actually involved if anyone is thinking, Hey, I want to, op- I could see myself opening a gym. That's what I want to do one day. What's involved? Uh, man, a lot. Let me, <laughs> I do. It's funny. I actually quite coincidentally had a bit of a conversation with uh, a, a student on this kind of topic this morning where, oh, I said, well, this has come up a lot where we talk about the standards in jujitsu and obviously the growth of the sport. It's amazing that there's more people doing it and the professional standards are just going higher and higher and higher. I've said multiple times that give me the current, you know, I'm a heavyweight, give me the current blue belt heavyweight world champion and he'd probably smash me in a role, you know, like the, the, the standards of professional jujitsu is through, man, it's astronomical. It's so crazy. However, the growth of the sport has also made the standards for the, the hobbyist or the average person complete dog shit. It's like the Pareto principle, right? So like the, the top gets better and then, you know, that distributes, you know, the skill set. Yeah. I kind of, fortunately, would you like an analogy to help explain it? Please give me one. Give me that shit. I think about it like this for me, it's, it would be, and this might not be applicable in other parts of the world, but people in Australia will de- get this reference very clearly. So 2% of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but think about when sushi, the cuisine kind of first was exported from Japan in the early days, it was probably, I assume just really that, you know, high end sushi. Right, And you could still go find a restaurant in Sydney, Australia, that's high-end sushi. And for me, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Like I'm thinking, well, I'm a fully qualified sushi chef. I make good sushi. I want like the best for my, my customers, blah, blah, blah. But then at the same time, there's this dog shit sushi train that's in a train station selling those $2 rolls of sushi. And I'm there as a sushi chef going, that's not fucking sushi. Right? Bullshit. Like, just rice bullshit, and chicken. Right? <laughs> you know, it's it's – kind of like that. It's great because the masses are more people are becoming educated about 
about jujitsu. About sushi. Oh, sorry. Jiu- yeah, right. about sushi, right? <laughs> and more people are eating sushi, but not necessarily a lot of people are getting good sushi. Mm. And uh, this this student was saying to me, yeah, man, like it's just, you know, some of the other guys yesterday morning were saying, because I wasn't there yesterday at the gym, saying, oh, you know, man, the way that they just, they came from other gyms and one guy said, he said in the four months he's been here, he's learnt more than he has in the last four years he was at his old gym. Like, yeah, because like you don't know till you know, you know, the, these people stuck in these terrible gyms. I saw another guy who <clears throat> recently had received a belt promotion and I remember just thinking, man. I know who you're talking about, yeah. Like I said, okay, yeah, like, you know, good on you. I'm happy for you because you're whatever but I'm not even that good at jujitsu and I would roll with you and go, Oh yeah, he's an okay. Blue belt. But now this guy's walking around with like a black belt or whatever. And I'm, <laughs> you know, and I'm not even that good. Mm. You know, the standards are just, I don't know. So for me opening a gym, it was very important that I, I wanted to be a qualified, you know, instructor, if you will. Yeah. I, I don't want to just be opening a restaurant cause I can cook. I want to begin. No, no, no. I'm a fully fledged chef and I know what I'm doing. Specialist in this. Yeah. yeah like I'm an, ex, I'm an expert in this field. Yep. That's why I'm opening a gym. Yeah. Okay? There's a lot of these gyms, particularly in Sydney that just go for quantity over quality. And yeah, I'm torn because I love seeing the growth of the sport. I want nothing but the sport to grow, but at what cost, right? So anyway, that's for me. So that was my university in Brazil. So we moved back to Australia and we moved back with nothing, bro. You know, um, yeah, I'm from Australia, but my, I don't have any family in Sydney. So we moved back and spent all our money to get back here because five years living in a country earning currency that is, you know, a third of the Australian dollar or whatever the exchange rate was at the time, by the time we bought our flights and my wife's visa and we brought a dog over from Brazil. Wow, which that if you're not aware, super expensive. <laughs> yeah. Goddamn. If, if you're not aware, quarantine in Australia is very tight. So mm. bringing animals in is crazy complicated and expensive. So we moved back with nothing. Straight back to Sydney, no job, no apartment, no anything, no, no dollars, and then, you know, you finally find an apartment and you're like, oh yeah, settle in. I'm going to have a shower. I don't have any towels. <laughs> like, oh, let, let's just, you know. Use a shirt. Come yeah. On, I'll, I'll just, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll just get a, I'll just, let's just have a microwave dinner. Yeah. I got no spoons, right? Like, yeah, or whatever, yeah. you know. So that, that shit adds up. For anyone listening that for some reason hasn't moved out of home, when you, when you do, all these like little expenses add up so goddamn quick. Yeah, they really do. It's like thousands and thousands of dollars just on, you know, thousand spoons. Yeah, just thousand just, spoons. That's all you want. <laughs> so the first uh, couple of years was spent just saving capital. Mm. Um, so I was still training. I just found whatever gym. Actually, I was quite fortunate to to end up meeting, you know, uh, Levi Jones Leary and, and Ari and Hope. And so I got to train with them a lot and become friends with them. So that was quite nice. That was because I had zero exposure to the Australian jiu-jitsu community mm. other than, than essentially 
Lockie and Livia from Absolute MMA because they had been over to Brazil. And so I met them when they came over, but they're in Melbourne. So I had no connections with anyone in Sydney regarding jiu-jitsu. Anyway, so, so training and working, right? So now you've established you want to open a gym and let's say you've saved your capital. For me, it took a few years because I started from nothing. Right. So what, what's your first step? Well, you have to kind of decide where you want to open the gym. One thing that people sometimes get wrong is they look for, for an area or location that doesn't already have a jiu-jitsu gym. And you could take that angle, but it's kind of to some extent an unnecessary risk in my opinion because if you go somewhere that already has one or two jiu-jitsu gyms, essentially they've proven that there's a market for it. You know, there's actually a really good uh, TED talk that's as uh, it's not the person on stage. It's like a cartoon while they're giving the TED talk. And it actually explains that why in business uh, competing businesses are always really close together. Right. And uh, it's like when you see car, like uh, used cars and they're all in the same row in the same place. Yeah. Well, well, cause this is how, uh, let me try butcher this real quickly for you, but essentially they, that was described like this. Imagine you've got a, f- a football field, like, uh, like a beach that's a hundred meters long. Right. Mm-hmm. And you've got two ice cream vendors with their little like portable carts. And you go, well, you would think it would make sense for each of them to pitch like, you know, at the, opposing ends at the 25 meter mark, right? So they're evenly spaced, okay? And they get an even amount of customers. But then what happens when, you know, one moves up to the 30 meter mark, right? And then the other guy's like, oh, hey, well now you're getting more customers than me because you're closer. And then long story short, it kind of results in them just neither one wanting to concede and both being at the 50 meter mark. Mm. So they still have equal amount of customers just in the opposite directions of each other while also not conceding any to the, to the, the competitor. Anyway, it's a long way of saying that opening a gym in an area that already has a jiu-jitsu gym, as long as it's not saturated, is proof that there's, there's a market for it. You know, whereas if you go somewhere where there's no gym, I'm not saying it can't work. Obviously, there's a lot to consider. Maybe it's you're a small town, maybe there's a brand new shopping center being built there and you're, you're banking on it exploding, whatever. But so you've got to choose your location. Once you've decided on the area, probably the hardest part of opening a gym is getting your commercial space. And this would depend on the country that you're in or even just the, the state or city you're in. But you've got a few, at least in, in Sydney, I found it really hard because there's a few things to consider Firstly, it's got to be obviously in the right location. It's got to be the right price. It's got to be the right layout. So you could go inspect a space and there's a bunch of structural columns everywhere and it's not going to work, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, I've looked at spaces that would have been perfect except there's, you know, a staircase in the middle and you're like, oh, fuck, like, you know, or not a staircase, but like, you know, like two steps or something. It's like mm-hmm. two different mm-hmm. heights and you're going, oh man, if only it was just the one level, you know? Uh, so yeah, it's got to be the right location, the, sorry, the right size as well. Cause that's part of it. It might be the perfect location and everything, the perfect layout and everything. 
but then it's only 80 square meters. Mm. Okay? Location, size, layout, uh, and it needs to be then approved by the owner. So the landlord sometimes don't want anything to do with gyms. And then it also has to be at least in New South Wales, council approved. It needs mm. to be the appropriate zone. So different places are zoned differently. and You can't just open a commercial business in any zone. To find a spot that ticks all five of those, man, it's really hard. Two of them are mandatory. Mm. And obviously if it has to be council approved, otherwise it's no go ahead. It has to be approved by the owner, otherwise it's no go ahead. So you're left with these three that, you usually have to be willing to pay more than you want to, or it be slightly not the location you want, or to be- You've got to concede on one of them, yeah. Yeah, slightly not the best layout. That is really hard, man. It's really, really hard to tick all those boxes. But, you know, like look at our current gym. If you looked at that, like the layout is pretty terrible, right? It's three old shops that were all combined. But I mean, it works, right? It definitely works. The location's yeah. good. The mm. price is good. The council's approves of it. The owner mm. approves of it. But I had to kind of concede on the layout. But man, it works. Like it's it's perfectly fine. I mean, I've been to worse smaller gyms. Yeah. Right. Once you find your space, one bit of advice I'll give you is it's not as easy. People just think that you just oh you got the space you just throw the mats down and you're good to go. Man, it's like so much more work than that, eh? Like even if, you, even if you're half-assing it, it's more than just throwing the mats down. But to do it properly, it's a, the fit-out is, okay, don't get me wrong, it's nothing as complicated as a fit-out for a weightlifting gym, of course. There's no equipment. You don't have to make sure that the ground can support someone doing a 200-kilo deadlift or, or any of that. But it is still harder than you think to lay the mats out. The fit out, you need to make sure you give yourself enough time for your fit out. I'm not looking forward to having to do a fit out again. At a, <laughs> at a new gym. Yeah, and if you were to outsource that, like the, the your budget would just skyrocket, right? Yeah, so I'm not, that, yeah, that's a good, a good point. I mean, I didn't outsource it, mm. so I'm not sure what it would cost you to pay someone. And I'm not even sure who you would get, like a the carpet Fuji, layer. The Fuji mat guys. Yeah, or, you know, I don't know if they if they do fit outs on this side of the world. They do. They do? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. And I've looked into it. Right. So I'm opening a gym in Rose Bay. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> right next door, bitch. <laughs> you just rent the golf course yeah. across the road. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, – you know, the fit out is is quite a big job. And yeah, but I don't know, maybe for a second gym, would I pay someone to do it? I guess it depends on the cost, but maybe. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of work. And uh, especially when you kind of don't know what you're doing mm. and it hurts as well, depending on the mats you get. We got those really nice two by one meter mats and they obviously don't perfectly fit everywhere when you have to cut them up. Oh, oh man. It's just, it's <laughs> like, That's your soul. Yeah. It's like this like, mat's like $200. Yeah. Cause you're never going to use that same cut yeah, again. Yeah. Right. So when you relocate, if you take those mats with you, any it's of fucked. them that you've yeah. cut are pretty much gone skis yeah. or they would just be cut down again into some, yeah, it hurts a little bit, but you know, but that's part of it. But I think you made a good point that sometimes when people look at things like business adventures in general, business ventures, I should say, 
it, it looks easier than it is. And it's the same with like even something simple like being a personal trainer. You look at that and you think, fuck, I can do that, you know, or like opening a gym. Yeah, you just chuck some mats down, you know, I'm already black belt, I can, I can run a gym. But there's so many things that you're not considering. Not, not to mention the real estate, but things like insurance, things like having payment systems, things like uh, getting your, your first few students, managing your students, like getting your correct insurance and you're working with children's check and all the all of this stuff. And man, that's like barely scratching the surface. And yeah. like managing your finances, your accounting, like the list goes on and on and on. Yeah, there's a lot because most people who go into it would be similar to me in the sense that like, I don't – have a degree in business. I didn't do any business studies or anything. So well, there was a lot of learning that had to go with it. Ex- exactly like you said, you know, people sometimes say, oh, so what do you do in between the classes? You know, they think that my my life is just teaching a one-hour class here yeah. and there or whatever. And and we said at the start, I'm sure some people get their business to that. But yeah, it's because, because they hire people. Yeah, exactly. It's because mm. they're paying other people to do 100%. all the other shit. Yeah. I do all that other shit. Yeah. So what is that other shit? You're well, a receptionist. Yeah. Who do you think cleans the mats? Me, not my goddamn students. <laughs> I've ranted before about gyms who make their students clean the mats. Fuck, <laughs> ah, ridiculous. Do it yourself or pay someone. Yeah. Your students are paying you. They're not paying you to clean the mats. Right? <laughs> so who cleans the mats? Me. But like, it's more than that. Who, when I run out of cleaning products, who, who, buys that who shit? gets more of that? Who cleans the bathroom? I do. Who cleans the bathroom? I do. You know, when, yeah. I mean, things that you overlook, something as simple as, well, oh, well, there's no toilet paper in the bathroom, right? Who do you Mm. think has to like restock that? I do, Mm. you know? Uh, Like you said, the the managing your students, having a way to take payment. So all these things are overheads that, this was an advice that was given to me before I opened but I kind of found it hard to grasp fully until I was in it. But I had a friend who, who owns East Van Jiu-Jitsu, which is also an alliance gym in Vancouver. And he said, if I can give you one bit of advice, and I'm going to push this advice forward, that it is to, to be fully aware of all of your overheads Every before you open. Yep. And that is – as I just said, I found it hard to fully grasp until you're, until you're in it. But let me just to name a few. So your biggest overhead is your rent. Okay. Let's not consider you're paying yourself because mm-hmm. in the beginning of any new business, paid. you don't get paid. Yep. Right. But all your overheads, man. So the rent's the biggest one. But then at least here in Australia, you need public liability insurance. Mm-hmm. You need to have what you mentioned are working with children certificate. Mm. So if you're going to be running kids classes, you need to have this certificate to say that you can work with children. Uh, you need to have a first aid certificate. CPR, all that yeah, stuff. You yeah, you've got to have, a, you know, be CPR trained and all that. And then you've got, you know, you're not 100% going to know what your electricity bill is and that until you're in the space using it, but you, you know, account for a rough idea of what your electricity is going to cost. Yeah, or your cleaning products. Uh, you know, when you order in geese, there's always some 
some wastage as in of you course. might you might order in 20 geese but you don't sell all 20 at once like that holds yeah. up all your cash yeah right yeah. that's still a all huge amount of, of money that yep. you've put into stock that's just sitting there mm. And all it takes is one or two geese not to sell or maybe one gee was faulty or whatever it mm. is. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're out of pocket, right? You've got to have in place a way to take payments. Mm-hmm. And then whichever company is taking those payments, they're charging you a fee yeah. to take those payments. Exactly. So there's a surcharge. I think the average is about one and a half to 2% surcharge on these these transaction sites and then you got software subscriptions to the management yeah, and software then you've got, itself. Yeah, so in the beginning when I first opened, I didn't have a, a software a, a, a software management system. Like a CRM. Sort yeah, of thing, because yeah. my customer base from day one was so small, mm. I didn't require it. Mm. But then, yeah, moving forward now I do. And I mean, just off the top of my head, it's a hundred something dollars a month or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, other things you don't think about having a, a Spotify subscription. Otherwise you've got music playing in your gym with ads coming on, mm. you know, which you don't kind want. Of that, yeah. You know, and all these things add up, right? So then you've also got to put on top of that- Websites. Okay, everything, yeah, your yeah. website, right? Hosting, your hosting even if fees. You do it, even if you do it yourself, like you're still paying a hosting fee. Exactly. And, even if you use Square yeah. or whatever- yeah, you're or, still um, paying for that. Or Wix or whatever yeah. to make your own website, Regardless. you're still paying fees for mm-hmm. that. Uh, then you've got- Okay, this is very specific to where you are in the world, but at least here in Australia, you've got uh, different ways that your business can be structured and that changes the way that you pay tax Mm -hmm. and everything. And it's actually quite brutal. I describe it like this, for it's so hard for small businesses and why a lot of small businesses try to deal in cash is because it's kind of like this. I remember when it happened to me at first, I went from, I passed the threshold of, GST? Yeah, of GST. Which is 74,000? 75,000, I think, right? And so I don't want to crap on about it too much for people who are not in Australia. Like, well, GST, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, they've got this thing that when you get to $75,000, you need to pay this extra tax, right? And I remember when I went through that transition, I was like, oh man, I'm starting to do real well. I can pay myself something. And then it kind of hit me like this. It was as if my business had had an increase of, let's say, 15% revenue and the government said, cool, now you pay 17% more tax. And it was like, what? So I make, like, I've started making more money, but I'm actually making less, you know, and all these things add up, man, you know, and I learned from mistakes, like a lot of people who open a business, I got hit with like an $11,000 tax bill or something like that that was really unexpected. And I was like, oh my God, you know, because of, partly my mistake, but also partly just, you know, a bad accountant or whatever. You you will make mistakes. But really, if you can account for all your overheads, because when you look at it on paper and it's all written out, it's much clearer than, than what people do sometimes. They might just go like, you know, let's say, oh, okay, so my rent is, let's say whatever it is, oh, my rent's $1,450 a week, right? Commercial rent in Australia is very expensive. Mm. So let's say, oh yeah, it's that. Okay, well, if I'm charging people $50 a week, okay, I need 29 students and I'm breaking even. No, bro. No, man, like it's yeah. not as clear as that because yeah, maybe you're charging them 50, but each one of those is gonna be, yeah, depending on what software, what 
third party company you use. I use yeah. one that takes 99 cents per. Oh, so, that's nice. Yeah, it's lower than the 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 ones that take like percentage base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, so, okay, it's actually not $50 I'm getting, it's 49 when mm. you think about it like that. But mm-hmm. you can't account for it like that because that 99 cents is tax deductible, you know, and all this shit. Yeah, so you get back like 40 cents on the dollar to that depending on your tax threshold, depending yeah. if you're an LLC or if you're, you know, a, a sole, sole trader. trader. Yeah, it's so complicated. So like I think, and I've learned similar lessons, like not all the lessons obviously because it's, I've worked in different businesses. I've, I've uh, started a few businesses now and you're 100% right when it comes to overheads, unless someone sits you down and says, bro, you need to like think about these things. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? You will just fly in blind. And unless you have like a blanket or a safety buffer of money, you will, you will fuck it up. And cash is the lifeblood to a business. If you run out of money, you, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you can go into debt, which most small businesses can't because they don't have a, you know, a line of credit. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You've and you definitely do have to have yourself a buffer. Um mm. in terms of you can't really give a number as to how much capital you need because it's no. going to depend where you are, how big the gym is, whatever. Yeah. And everything, but uh, I remember we had to invest a little bit more than we than we thought we had to. It wasn't like we had to take out a loan or anything. We did it all from money that was saved, but you know, things that, that we hadn't accounted for, what was one, one extra fee that was here in Australia, it's common practice in commercial real estate that you pay the legal fees of the landlord's lawyer who draws up the contract draws up the contract. They delete the last tenant's name and write yours in. Yeah. And that was like a $2,000 bill. I was about to say the thousands, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, what? Like we hadn't accounted for that. Yeah. You know, as well as that, you know, you typically have to pay bond as well. Mm-hmm. So you're having a front like whatever it is, 10, 15, 20 grand or something in rent from day one. And there's something that you taught me when um, teaching me about real estate. Like a lot of real estate have demolition clauses and like, you know, clauses like three plus three and five plus five, which is basically, you know, you got to read your contract because if you have a demolition clause and that gets activated, then yeah, all yeah. of your fit out fees, like the hundred thousand dollars that you just spent fitting out your brand new yeah, gym with all those new mats, out. boom, you're gone. Yeah. You don't, you don't get to recoup that. That's, a, that's, you know, part and parcel of running a business. Yeah. So, so much you, risk. Yeah. You definitely want to be aware of, of, of your contract mm. with the, with the landlord Again, it's going to depend where you are in the world or in the country, but you want to be pretty switched on about it because they're always written in favor of, of the landlord. 100%. And when I, when I open a, f- a future space, I'm going to be way more savvy about it and I'm mm. going to be way more willing to dig my heels in and be like, nah, bro, like, nah, that's not happening because I've got experience now. But yeah. I didn't at this first premises. And don't it's not like I lost money, but they were just some – costly mistakes you could say but it, but it was all part of it yeah uh but yeah just so much stuff goes on behind it's really unless you're going to be someone who is going in with a business partner and you're kind of just kicking back and only teaching a class here and there and whatever because you've got your other full-time job as well mm-hmm. some people do that as well i've seen people do that where it's this side this uh passion project that they do but if it's going to be your business and what you do to plan to have an income, mm. man, all the, yeah, like, well, what do you do between classes? Well, who, the, who the hell do you think answers the emails? Mm. Who do you think, 
you know, follows up when this payment failed or mm. when this student still owes money or, you know, maybe I'm just checking in with a student. Hey, haven't, you know, man, how's your knee feeling after yeah. you tweaked it last week or yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean- We're not even talking about marketing. That is, hasn't even come into the equation. God, we yet. haven't even spoken about marketing. Mate. And that's I like love in 2022, Instagram. Bro. Right. <laughs> in 2022, marketing is like, I said cash is the lifeblood to a business, but fuck, marketing's a close well, second, yeah. mate. We said at the start, you know, you either need to run a business or teach seminars and, and instructionals. Mm. And mm -hmm. if you were a marketing guru, man- you could be a blue belt be selling instructionals. You have enough followers on Instagram, people will buy it. Man, they don't care. My instructional's it's, coming soon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm you not know? joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's releasing this month. Stay, stay, stay tuned. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, that's a whole nother part of it, right? And all this stuff, you look at it and you go, where's my return on investment? Mate, and a lot of yeah. the time- there isn't one or you, you're not willing to take the risk on the return on investment. You so need the, the buffer, yeah. Yeah, so you kind of end up just doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. But we, we've we done quite well. I mean, our gym, I remember, I think we only ran at a loss for the first three months. That's so impressive. And like, then I think it was, so on, it was like on month three or month four or something that after all our overheads and everything, I was like, oh, I made five dollars. You know, that's, I remember it was like I remember breaking even after three months, and I was like, yes. And we've never had a month with a loss. Like to since. put in to put in context, most small businesses run at a loss for at least twelve to eighteen months. Yeah, you need to be prepared for that. Yeah, that's also something you need. To, actually, that's a huge, great bit of advice. I highly recommend that you put a quite a firm line in the sand as to when you would cut your losses. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't think it's being pessimistic. It's just being prepared. Yeah. It's you you want to, yeah. You want to say like, okay, man, if we get to month, whatever, mm. and we're not at X, like maybe, maybe you don't necessarily need to say if we're not making money by here, but you might say, oh, if by month eight, we're not at least, you know, 90% of the, or whatever it is, you need to have a cutoff. I have an as, analogy for as this. As to where you can't continue to to throw money away. So I was- uh, I'll, I'll rate your analogy. Okay, hang on, right. hang on. We'll give it a one out of 10. Let's go. <laughs> you can't rate it before we <laughs> fucking start. So this isn't even my analogy, but it's one that I heard. And when it comes to business, this, this concept of like drawing lines in the sand and like having very firm go, no go lines, as we call call it in the in the Navy, you, you need to, it's it, the concept- is referred to as protecting your flanks. And the the story that goes along with it is in World War II, Winston Churchill was, uh, they had a request from the French to, to come help them, you know, defend against the Germans, the German invasion, right? And obviously full-blown war, Winston Churchill decided to go to the aid of the French, but what they needed to calculate is, okay, we're going to throw absolutely every single thing we can at this, but we need to calculate exactly how many air squadrons is required to defend England from a, a potential invasion from Germany if it all, all goes to shit. So they calculated it and I don't remember the exact number, but it was something like 28 squadrons. So they're like, okay, we'll throw absolutely every single plane we have to help defend the French up until 28 squadrons. That is your go, go, go no go line. And that's what they did. And lo and behold, the French were defeated in, in that uh, German invasion. And what did Germany do? Started bombing Britain. 
And then what did Britain do? Fucking took you down the Luftwaffe or however yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. They took, that, took out the Luftwaffe with their 28 squadrons that they yeah. that Winston Churchill and, and friends <laughs> and generals calculated that's what they need. That is protecting your flank. So yeah. in business, I'm going to take change risks. it. It's a 10 out of 10 analogy, Kieran. Hey, it's not even mine. <laughs> but in business, like – you, yes, it's going to be risky and yeah, it's your, you know, it's your plan A, all your eggs are in that one basket. But if you haven't calculated how to protect your flank and things go to shit, you're fucked. Yeah. You definitely have to have that. Mm. Cause otherwise if you don't have that line, man, then you're going, Oh, if I you're like a junkie, a bit more, if I just get a little bit more, a little bit more. And then yeah. all of a sudden you're 20 K in the hole and you're just going, Oh fuck. Yeah. Obviously you don't want that here. I'm not saying you're planning for failure, but mm. failure is always an option, right? Mm. And you and you need to be prepared. I'm not going to lie, man. I remember the, and I'm sure a lot of businesses were the same when we had our first COVID lockdown. Yeah, we were quite fortunate in Australia. There were a lot of government support for small businesses and stimulus packages and things like that. But even they weren't enough for some businesses. Yeah, I remember. I remember having thoughts of man, you know. I remember. Right as we were coming out of that first lockdown, I remember I was getting really close to thinking, no, like I was already thinking, uh, I don't know how much longer this can go on. I was really having, I could feel, it's like this, I think we're pretty close, mm. you know, and then luckily we came out of lockdown. But, but yeah, you've got to be prepared to fail. And I mean, I think that's just smart business, right? You've got to have those sort of, Go, no, go lines. Yeah. Protect your flank. Protect your flanks. I love it. Uh, that got like, that got a little bit. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you, we're going to hear that in the mics. For, for the reason we pause there is someone, uh, I think it's like post buzzing the door and they just held it for like. They quite aggressively buzz, <laughs> buzz the door here. Like just leave it at the I door, bro. Shit. I'll probably cut this out. Yeah. <laughs> I won't. Uh, but yeah, look, I, we're going to, we're going to leave it there. We could go. This episode may not have been for everyone. It's a yeah. bit more niche talking about some of the things involved. But hey, in it's, a, it's a, business. a good insight. Right? But it could also, God, we could speak another two hours about the things that, that go on mm. behind the scenes of, of running a business, man. Things, and even me, things I forget, you know, all of a sudden there'll be a kid who wants to buy a gi and I'm like, fuck, I've run out of like the size belt that fits that kid, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's hard when you're a small business, it's easy to sit back from an outsider's perspective and go, oh man, just carry more stock. But like you said, like that stock that is just- It's a, it's uh, a balance. It's you a know, it's act. just money sitting yeah. in something that's worthless until it's sold. Bro, and I'll I've give you that. even- I've done a, that before. I'll give you an, even another example. I had a huge, had, yeah, right before this grading we did mm. where I gave out a bunch of belts, I had a huge stock of belts, mm. right? Uh, a, because I just wanted to stock up and B, I knew there was a grading coming up. Mm. Now we previously uh, in Sydney and all the East coast of Australia have had a huge amount of rain mm. and pretty much all up and down the East coast, there's now houses, buildings that are just having massive mold problems, right? Because of all the, the rain, like even nice houses are getting damp in through the walls and yeah. there's mold. Yeah. And so I just went to look at these belts and these belts are in plastic bags, like in their individual wrappers and they were all moldy. I was like, fuck. So then who do you think is the one who has to unpackage all those, you know, like not bleach them, but, you know, like uh, put them in dead oil and wash them and dry mm. them and everything because they're brand new belts. They just mm. need to be cleaned. Man, me. So, yeah. you know, there's lots of little things that go on and 
my friend who gave me the example, who gave me the advice of checking, like having all your overheads. He also said, he described running a business like this. He said, man, you're like a firefighter and there's lots of little fires and yeah. you're just constantly, it's like playing overcooked. Yep. You're just like constantly running out, putting out little fires permanently. Yep. And I'm like, that sounds, ho- sounds horrible. <laughs> so it's like being an entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. But you know. So how effectively can you put out fires? At the same time, I don't have a boss. Well, I do, it's a tax man. <laughs> <laughs> and your wife. Yeah, and my wife, yeah. But, you know, uh, for me, it's it's very re- rewarding and we could talk more about it. Obviously, if anyone has any specific questions regarding running a gym or the business side of it, mm-hmm. we have our Ask a Black Belt. The next one, we're on episode 85, so the next one will be episode 90. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the deal. Instagram, Linktree audio questions, send them through. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think that's it. Yeah. And just because we haven't done it in a while, if you want to support the show, feel free to support our Patreon. We post exclusive content to uh, Patreon. We have an awesome group of, of people on Patreon that support us. So shout out to all the patrons. And if you want to get amongst it, you can do so through the link in our link tree. Yeah, you can. Guys, thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.